Hey, Chris, welcome back. Why don't we talk about the Word of God? I know that a lot of people have said to me, and I'm sure said to you and many other Christians along the way, you can't trust the Bible. It's just so full of errors. And I've found it's interesting that when that happens, if you say, okay, why don't we look at those? Let's open the Bible and you can show me those errors that you've looked at. 9.9 out of 10 people are going to say, let me, let me get back to you on that. Right. But the Bible has been so carefully, minutely examined and gone through with the finest of fine-tooth combs by both people who have faith in it as well as those who seek to destroy it, and yet here it stands today. There's a lot of Christian apologetic books that have been written by someone who started out trying to prove that the Bible is and Christianity is untrue based on error. And in their study and in their pursuit, they eventually realize I've been the one who was wrong. God's word has been proven true. There, there's just been so many different books written from people trying to disprove the Bible that I have to say, okay, I was wrong. This is God's word and what it says is true. So when we say that the Bible is without error, and we talk about inspiration happened when the pen touches the paper. Now, when we're talking about things that have crept in because of translating it or just copying errors, those are called textual variants. And there are textual variants in scripture, small, insignificant amount, and none of them change the meaning or understanding of the topic at all. It's just errors that are made in copying, but it doesn't change the story. As I say, it doesn't radically change the story. It doesn't even minutely change the, the accounts. And, and why would we expect God's breath to produce air? It doesn't make any sense. I'd much more likely think that people who call out air, they're the ones that are wrong. And it's amazing how often archaeology and discovery has shown that, oh, I guess God's word was true. There was a doubt for a long time about Pontius Pilate being the governor during Jesus' crucifixion. They did archaeological dig and they found a stone and then referred to Pontius Pilate as governor. Oh, never mind. Didn't change their mind. They just tried to find the new thing. Over and over, that seems to happen. I either was told about that very thing you're talking about and or I, I want to think I saw it when I was in Jerusalem about six years ago. A, a book that I found particularly helpful in understanding this is the New King James Controversy. It talks about textual families of different documents and how they could be developed and why some of those textual variants would occur. If a scribe was copying scripture and they had a question, they might've written on the side, their question, the next person who got it just copied it. Those are the types of textual variances that we're talking about. But if you go and look at enough manuscripts and it's just a few over here that have it can say, all right, that was added later. I had somebody tell me one time, it's not that we don't have all of scripture, it's that we have a hundred. And so it's not too difficult to, for scholars to go back and look at different documents and figure out what had been added later, as opposed to what did God cause to be right when he, when his breath moved the human authors to, to write scripture. So again, going back to the manuscripts, 
Could you speak for a moment to the issue of the reliability and the supporting documents for the Scripture versus the supporting documents for other ancient writings that don't seem to suffer the questions that the Bible does? Yeah. So you have when you believe an original text was written. And then there's a period where you don't have any of those documents. And then you find the oldest document that is still in existence. For the New Testament, it's we're talking just a few decades between the oldest documents and when we believe the scripture was originally written. For any other book written in that same time period, we're not talking about the closest or oldest manuscript being just decades from the original, we're talking centuries from the original. It's, it doesn't even truly compare. It's the time frame in between for the New Testament, so small, and then for everything else, huge time difference between the original and the oldest copy that we currently have. And nobody seems too worried about that for those other texts. It seems like the Bible is exceptionally detailed attacks and evaluations compared to those others. If you take one of the ancient writers like Aristotle or Plato or Socrates, they would say what they were saying. They would die, and then centuries later, for the very first time, someone would write that down. What they've been told over and over by person after person happened. And there's some legitimacy to that because they lived in a time of oral tradition. Yeah. And then in the Old Testament, the scribes would even count letters. And if a page had the wrong letter, if they, if, when their copy, if it had the wrong letter in the middle, they threw it away. They were really particular about their copies being absolutely perfect. And they would check them. And they made sure it was right. One thing that I've heard that I think represents a serious misunderstanding, and you help me explain this if you don't mind, and that is people speaking against the Bible now say it's been translated so many times that you can't depend on anymore that what was originally written is even there. But there's a reflection of lack of understanding in such an observation because the translation that might be done today, for example, a relatively new translation is the New International Version. And those people that did the translation of the NIV did not go back to the King James or some earlier translation. They go back to the manuscripts that exist. Nobody is translating from a previous translation, but from the documents that everybody goes back to. That's right. I'm changing gears a little bit. You've talked about asking what you think. I'm always so careful about trying to encourage people not to talk about what they think, but what God has said, and then try to understand the context and then try to reach an application for us today, even though it was written to a different group of people. Because it is the living word of God, it was also written to us. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Taking that into consideration, 
where does our thinking fit in safely when we're looking at the Bible, whether we're doing this one-on-one by ourselves and the Holy Spirit or whether we're involved with other people? I would say, first of all, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to teach us and the reliance on the Spirit to help us understand. Who can know the mind of God but the Spirit of God? So that certainly is necessary. But a lot of it is just hard work. We use the word context. Now, it's a little harder for us because it's a historical context that we don't live in. Some things would have been written where if you had lived in that historical context, you'd understand it. But, but we live where we live in the time we live, and uh, there are so many agricultural uses, metaphors in the Bible that farmers would understand right away. And, and, but if you live in the city and you never gardened even, it would be like, no, what does that mean? And so there's tools to use, commentaries, Bible dictionaries, just using some of that context. As we mentioned earlier, the Bible's written in three different languages. None of those languages I speak. I don't speak Greek, Hebrew, or Arabic. There's a whole lot of people smarter than me that have written studies about the Greek and the Hebrew and have broken it down. And so it's just doing the work. And it's hard work, but at the same time, it's not impossible work. God's word was written to be understood. As we begin to try to bring this discussion to a close, I wonder if we might spend a few minutes sharing our experience on how we approach reading the Bible to help those who may not have had experience with that or may have had experience and been somewhat frustrated. Typically, if someone asks me to tell them how to start reading the Bible, I suggest that they take one book of the Bible, probably in the New Testament, and read it a number of times over and over. And these books, almost all of them are pretty short. Even the longer ones can be read in a relatively short time period. For example, I might say, read the Gospel of John, the fourth book in the New Testament, and read that three or four times. Is that similar to what you might would suggest? Yeah. The saying I heard is, read it until you hear the echoes. Huh. I love that. I never heard that. And and I found that to be very helpful, to just keep reading it until you hear the echoes. And we talk about these different helps, commentaries, word definitions. There's all these things. Don't start with that. Just read the Bible on its own a few times through. And then as you have questions write those questions down. I heard of a theologian that when he first got saved and started reading the Bible, that he wrote questions down on the pages. As he read it, he would write those questions down. And and then he eventually went through years later and copied those questions and then started writing the answers. And then he got done writing the answers and he had a whole new set of questions. (laughs) And it was very rewarding to see the questions he had that God had showed him the answers in the word and then how he kept growing because he always had new questions. Mm. Uh, yeah, writing questions I, and then being able to start writing the answers or the thoughts is a great way of doing it as well. And then if you're stuck, you can find a commentary that might help you out a little bit with it, get you thinking about it. But there's also the idea of meditating. I always pause to use that word because we immediately think of somebody sitting cross-legged on a rock 
emptying their mind. Meditation isn't emptying your mind. Meditation is filling your mind. And to just take a simple thought and meditate on it. Take the thought, cast all your anxieties on the Lord for he cares for you. Take a day and just meditate on that. Think about it. Ask questions. What are my anxieties right now? How am I casting it on the Lord? What are the ways I should do that? Just if you spend a day just keeping that one verse in mind, that's a fantastic way to have scripture have a work in your life. I refer to it this way, but it didn't come from me. Others have spoken of this across many years. It's just to chew on the word, to to continue to try to get all the goody out of it, so to speak, to to meditate by thinking on it, like you've said. That's a great thought and a great suggestion and maybe a good place for us to stop. One scripture that came to mind while we were talking is from, I believe it's Luke chapter 6, verse 40, where it speaks of a person being fully trained that they might be like the teacher. And that that's a great encouragement to me that God's not just given us the word as something interesting, but he wants us to be uh, equipped with his word, both for our daily lives like Jesus when he's facing down Satan in the wilderness and every time. And Satan was quoting scripture to him, yes. but perverting it somewhat. And then Jesus would answer. So he had that within him. And so we need to be prepared to be fully trained, as that scripture says, in order to face the challenges in life. I've used this example before. If we live in an area, New Orleans area, where we have experiences with hurricanes on a regular basis, we don't wait until we see a hurricane and to go outside and put up some plywood over the windows or to pick up things out of your yard, you have to be prepared beforehand. And it's that same way with Scripture. We need to have it settled in our mind what the Word of God is so when the challenges of life come, instead of scrambling to look for the book, we can know right then that God has spoken and we can build our lives on that. John Maxwell had a quote, when opportunity knocks, it's too late to prepare. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And, and I, I could see how that relates to having the word of, having the word of God in your heart and mind that when, when you need it, it's, it's already there. Yeah. We hadn't mentioned this, but I know on both of our minds, the importance of memorization of scripture is high up there in Psalm 119, where he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I keep trying to wind this down and I keep thinking of other things. We could talk from now on, couldn't we, about the Bible? And we certainly don't represent that we've covered this even as a survey. This falls woefully short. Had some good discussions about some important issues. And if anyone has questions, they can pose them and we'll respond to them as best we can as God leads us. Absolutely. I don't know all the answers. Do you? No. I don't even know all the questions. No, I don't know all the questions. But we enjoy seeking after them. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Chris, for being together. And uh, God willing, we will come together again and 
share some more thoughts about God's Word and who we are in Christ and how God has called us to live. To quote Francis Schaeffer, how then shall we live the way that God's called us to? Amen. Amen. God bless.